0: You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set up to bring you news, interesting topics, and interviews of people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 354. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co hosts, Annika Harrison, Luna Harrison, and Pontus Böckmann. See us Hello.
1: Hello
0: hey son, heysan! <laughs> so we are still in Australia. Yes. Um, at the moment of this recording, we have finished our tour of several uh, cities across Australia. Together
2: with our friend Luna.
0: Yeah. Together with our friend Luna, whom you can hear Who's now eating well. another
2: microphone, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah.
0: And we are currently in uh, Canberra, Yay. where uh, in two days, the Australian Skeptics National Convention is on. The big thingy! Woo! With the three of us, plus Claire Klingenberg, among the speakers. And we will have a live recording as well on Sunday. So we have a packed weekend ahead of us. Mm, We do. But before tomorrow, we're going to explore a little bit. Mm. The city, right? Mm -hmm.
2: Exactly. And what is it that we are releasing this week? This week we have our meeting with the Brisbane skeptics couple of days ago or i don't know when was it monday
1: <laughs> it's all yeah. a blur really, but it's it, all very awesome <laughs> yes yes
2: for those
0: of uh, our listeners who know what i'm talking about if it's tuesday this must be Belgium. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah it's, it feels kind of like that but we started in sydney with the sydney skeptics in the pub right mm? then we went to melbourne mm-hmm. another skeptics dinner mm-hmm. a lot of fun then brisbane gold yeah. coast and now we're here in Canberra. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's fantastic. It's,
1: yeah. It's wonderful.
2: And like Claire pointed out just an hour ago, we haven't killed each other yet.
1: Yeah. And we feel like rock stars.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we're definitely treated like
0: uh, like them. But we, we knew that it would, would probably be a challenge because this is the first time that we are spending so much time together. Yes. All of us. And uh, so far, it's been super fun. It's gone well. Yeah, it's gone well. We we didn't go on each other's nerves. Uh with a couple of exceptions of me being too loud and too noisy all the time, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah. Um, so what we are releasing uh, this week is uh, the recording of a panel discussion that we had at Brisbane Skeptics in the Pub. Hmm? And uh, was it called the Skeptics in the Pub? Anyhow, there was a dinner, then there was a panel discussion with uh, a lot of people attending. So was good,
1: good mood. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, I really hope that our listeners can enjoy some of that, or that we can we can somehow convey that as well to yeah. our listeners. So, without further ado, let's listen to that recording. Yeah
3: So, to quickly introduce uh, my colleagues, Annika is from the German Skeptics. Uh, she's also a longtime contributor to uh, Girl of skepticism on Wikipedia. She is a teacher originally. And she uh, is now also looking at various myths that new moms have to face when trying to exist in the world of motherhood. Uh, Pontus Bekman is from Sweden. He is the president of the Swedish Skeptics. uh, And uh, originally, his background is in finance, as he likes to say, say, I'm a finance guy. So Pontus is the finance guy. (laughs) (laughs) András Pinter is uh, the president of the Hungarian Skeptics, so from Hungary. Uh, he is professionally a tour guide and likes to demystify various myths that fr- uh, surround that profession in various places he visits with people. Uh, my name is Claire. I am from the Czech Republic. Uh, and I have the lovely duty of chairing the European Council of Skeptical Organizations, which is an umbrella group that tries to unite various skeptic groups and science groups in Europe. So, a quick introduction. So, as I mentioned... Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about very briefly is just a European level to explain. So most countries uh, in Europe have uh, some kind of skeptic group, rationalist group, uh, group that does science communication or uh, science promotion. And uh, in the nineteen in 1989, there was an idea that those groups should start meeting and talking to each other. Uh, so so that's how the European Skeptics Congress was born. And out of that came the European Council of Skeptic Organizations that tries to facilitate communication amongst these groups. Um, There are two main international events in Europe. It's the one I've mentioned, the Congress. And then there is QED, which takes takes place in Manchester in the UK. Um, And that's kind of a great meeting place, both of these uh, events for various skeptics throughout Europe to get to know each other. So now... uh, S- country-specific. Annika, could you start us off with Germany? Yes. Um,
1: so, Germans um, face a bit of a challenge, uh, of course, in regards to homeopathy, because that's what we invented. <laughs> um, so, for anyone who doesn't know, homeopathy is an alternative, um, air quotes, medicine <laughs> Um that pretty much consists of sugar pills where you spray water on it. Um, it's, it works with diluted or um, uh, diluting things, and um, yeah, that's that's very German. Like that's a challenge we face because um, insurances in Germany cover that. So um, it's, it's very annoying for uh, like and infuriating for me, for example, because um, I u- usually need glasses. And they are not covered by the insurance, but homeopathy is. My glasses work beyond the placebo effect, just (laughs) let me tell (laughs) you that. (laughs) Um, Another challenge we usually run into are um, so called Reichsbürger, which translates to empire citizens. Um, They are people that believe that um, the German democratic. Like our German democracy is not really an independent state, but a satellite state for the US. It's a bit ridiculous. Um, And we would think they're just like completely... uh (laughs) stupid <laughs> but um they can be pretty violent so there was for example they tried um they had a plan to abduct our health minister karl lauterbach and to destabilize the democracy uh, luckily that plot got unearthed and it didn't happen but you can see how um violent or dangerous they can be um but luckily we have um the group that i'm part of uh, that is Die Gesellschaft für Wissenschaftliche Untersuchung von Parawissenschaften. So
3: very German, as you can tell from that's the name. Very,
1: that's all, all one word. <laughs> no, it's, it's not all one word. <laughs> but that's what um, we call ourselves, or for short, Gwup. is a bit... What? <laughs> what? Uh, which is a bit easier to pronounce. Um, and yeah, we are the German skeptics. <laughs> 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 thank you um <laughs> yeah so we're the german skeptics um our chair is amadeo sama um he might be a name that some of you heard of yeah i can see a note there um yeah so that's what what we do,
3: what I do. And um, I think I would now just if you could just briefly tell us what is the kind of everyday like what what do you guys do as an like activities as a group? Yes. Um,
1: So we have different levels. We have the um, national and international um, part. So like international would be all the German speaking countries. So Germany, Austria. um, Who am I forgetting? Switzerland and Luxembourg. Um, so we get together at times. Then we have SkepCon, which it's almost like Skepticon from the name, um, which is the German conference, that's the national level. And then we also have um, <coughs> a Zoom inter-regional um, meeting. And then we still have um, li- different cities where, th- where we do Skeptics in the Pub. Um, I'm part of Cologne Skeptics in the Pub, so we... Um, we organize speakers usually in German. Um, to yeah. Do, do, to do. <laughs> To do Skeptics in the Pub.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and they also publish uh, wonderful magazines uh, on topic. And they now have a special extra subgroup that only deals with homeopathy and informing the public about homeopathy. Exactly. The, which is called Informationsnetzwerk Homeopathy. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> or Information <laughs> Network Homeopathy. <Yes>. All right. <laughs> so now we will travel to Sweden.
2: All right. Welcome <laughs> to Sweden. First, I want to introduce myself. I'm, my name is Pontus. But secondly, I want to introduce my... My T-shirt here, it says, Jag är skeptisk, and that means (laughs) I am skeptical, so I try to be. That's the official T-shirt. So in case you wondered what I'm advertising here, I guess skeptisk is uh, sort of uh, understandable. So I'm the president of the Swedish Skeptics, or Vetenskap och Folkbildning. We're almost as bad as the Germans, with, <laughs> long, with the long names.
1: Was that all one word? That's not, <laughs> no,
2: that's three words, actually. <laughs> it means science and popular education, and it was started in 1982. So actually, this, this, su- this Sunday, we turned 40 years. So, <laughs> so sort birthday. of a little, yeah. I, Unfortunately, I won't be home to celebrate it. So, but but that that's how it is. Anyway, the the we have over the years grown to become a, a, a large organization. I would say because Sweden is a small country, we have two thousand six hundred members, paying members, and for that you get our quarterly mag- magazine, and we also do um, hand out two uh, awards every year. One is our equivalent of your. Uh, bent spoon award so uh, we call it and this is I know a strange uh, uh, translation but we call it confounder of the year or misleader of the year but confounder sounds funny because that confounds you in itself the (laughs) word Uh, so um, and um, that usually that can go to anti-vaxxers spreaders of misinformation spreaders of um, conspiracy theories we also have uh, Enlightener of the Year, somebody who's done something very good. That has often been journalists who are doing good work, uh, authors of books, people who do good things in social media, uh, and in, in other way, people who are trying to educate the, the Swedish uh, population about, uh, well, how science really works and what you should watch out for, the kind of... Uh, arguments that are uh, shonky I believe is the word you use here yes yeah
3: so we're moving to Hungary
0: don't move to Hungary Uh, (laughs) it won't be good for you Um, but uh, my name is András Pinter Uh, I'm very happy to be here and I represent an organization that is called Skeptikus Társaság which translates as the Skeptic Society, but we, the English name is H- the Hungarian Skeptic Society, not to, uh, <laughs> to be able to distinguish it from very distinguished organizations bearing that name. Um, and uh, it's a, v- a relatively young organisa- organization that I've been uh, chairing for two years, and, but I was uh, one of the original members when we f- 15 years ago uh, we, we brought it to life. And the whole thing uh, grew out of uh, something um, that was more along the lines of uh, organizing yearly uh, gatherings of your uh, Hungarian skeptics. So, and that happened to be my hometown. I was very lucky um, that that it happened so. And um, yeah, I became a regular at a very, Um, young age at the age of 16 so I can consider myself um, a skeptic uh, for basically all my life Uh, or my adult life at least and uh, we wanted to do something uh, that is not only just gathering getting together and and uh, and complaining to each other uh, about all the the funny and outrageous stuff that's going on out there uh, but more uh, m- more on the lines of m- building a movement, and for that we wanted an association. So we did, and what we do on a regular basis is we have a monthly radio appearance, um, uh, talking about uh, a variety of topics. Um, so every every month we have a Monday when we have an hour slot uh, in uh, one of the Hungarian um, on one of the Hungarian um, radio channels and there is a, a skeptical club that we organize it's very similar to what what we are attending right now um so but it's we have speakers we have uh, someone who's an expert on a certain topic and we invite them and now we are a little bit late to the party but uh, we are now um, experimenting with live streaming every single event and the live streaming is very successful so most of our um, followers do that follow us on on the internet so on social media very uh, a lot of young people uh, know about us, and uh well occasionally we are very happy when we write up a blog blog article and we we reach uh fifty or sixty thousand people with with them um, but uh, we could still do a lot more, and we would like to educate the public especially because i don 't know if you 've heard uh, Hungary is not the most democratic country at the moment, and uh unfortunately uh in order to to solve that problem uh we would go back to the basics and we, the, 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 we need fundamental changes in people's ability to recognize uh, a situation when they are being deceived, when uh, they are being manipulated uh, politically or otherwise. Uh, so we, we, we have a lot of work cut out for us. We just need to find a way to, to do all that.
3: So now I will take you to the Czech Republic. Uh, So Czech Republic's group is called uh, Czech uh, Skeptics' Club Sisyphus, Český klub skeptiků Sisyphus. It is for words, (laughs) just in case. We started in 1996. And the reason why Sisyphus was started is because of the Greek myth of Sisyphus, where the Greek king gets punished that he has to roll up a stone uh, to the top of the hill. And every time he gets to the top, it rolls back down. And we thought that was an apt metaphor for what it is to be a skeptic. Um, so uh, based on that, we do give away uh, the pri- uh, an erratic b- b- boulder prize every year to the person who has mystified the public the most. Uh, or, or sometimes it's also called muddy thinking. And we've also started giving out an... an enlightenment prize to someone who has an, an amazing job in science communication or just promotion of critical thinking. Um, we hold about 50 talks a year uh, which are casual where we uh, meet at a university and then we go to a pub for dinner and then 12 talks a year uh, at the Academy of Sciences uh, where we try to um do a more kind of formal thing where the talks are longer and there's like a small reception afterwards um to have time for to have like a more in-depth conversation with a speaker so uh that those are the the two main activities that we do, we we have been recording and streaming our talks before it was cool, during COVID. (laughs) Um, And uh, we also publish a magazine, a quarter magazine. We have about uh, 600 members with a population of 10 million people in the country, Uh, 600 paying members. There's uh, people who've listened to talks online who are not paying members. Um, We have been credited with shutting down the Chinese medicine branch of one of our hospitals it, we have been credited, but honestly, we just complained and it was um, various other reasons why that place got shut down. However, the alternative medicine uh, people in our country do believe that it, it's our fault, which is kind of cool that they think we have that kind of power. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, we try to also uh, do events in various other cities in our country uh and we try to get into schools as much as possible which means that we have a set of lectures offered by various of our members depending on their specialty and we send those out regularly to schools as an offer to uh that we will happily come in and do a lecture on everything from uh biology through uh, evolutionary biology critical thinking uh psychology medicine we just try to make sure that all of our experts are as available as possible to schools because that's where we see it's the most important place to start and to work uh, and create little skeptics. So uh, that's about it for the Czech Republic. Do you have any questions before we move on? Yes?
0: Do, do they
1: have a the skeptic societies in Russia, or Belarus, or Ukraine, and Moldavia
3: or Georgia? So Russia, we know that there was a skeptic group. Um, (laughs) um, one of one of the uh, main people there was Alexander Pachkin and I don't know if any of you have heard from him I the last time I emailed with him was in March and since then I didn't get an email back so uh, after he answered a couple of times so I really don't know uh, what's going on there there was a small group in Ukraine that we try to also kind of support but that kind of also we don't know what happened in belarus i don't know that's
0: there <laughs> was another uh, organization in russia and we even o- uh, interviewed uh, one of the p- most prominent members of that organization kirill Alferov, uh, uh, but he moved out of the country so <laughs> that uh, uh, that was probably a good good thing to do for him uh, but not necessarily for the skeptic movement. he can still support from abroad he can uh, with his actions uh, I believe he still does his uh, his um, podcast uh, I'm not sure about that but uh, w- that that is the kind of support that that uh, uh, people outside of the country can still do uh, and still help the people who who are still in the country suffering all the madness.
3: Yes. So, so what are we doing to get uh, young people into our cult? Is the question. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Please let them
1: kiss the microphone, of course, (laughs) like Luna
2: did. Actually, we breed them. (laughs) But apart from that, uh, we do try to visit with schools and uh, to uh, to um, uh, talk to. But that. It's a long way. There are lots of schools. There are lots of students. So I don't know how effective it is. But we are very popular with certain teachers really appreciate what we're doing. And they invite us back year after year after year. So that's what we're doing. But I do recognize the problem. And I think we're not doing enough. Anyone
3: else?
0: Yes. Uh, I don't want to turn my, my every single um, <laughs> sentence into a complaint, but um, so in, our, in our country, it's a bit more difficult. We try and we used to go to schools very often. However, now the, co- the school system has changed. It, it, it got so much centralized that it's almost impossible to get into schools. Uh, So if we manage to find an individual teacher who is willing to do that uh, and and uh, dedicate uh, a a lesson, dedicate one occasion to to us talking to the the students, that's that's all uh, that's possible. But these days, unfortunately, our teachers are too occupied with uh, surviving uh, uh, being a teacher. So uh, that's not not easy. So the, the most obvious way Getting into schools, talking to a lot of children, uh, is is getting more and more difficult, and not only in Hungary. So other countries are suffering from that too, even if not not to that extent.
1: Yeah, um, we in Germany we have a two pronged approach, but we also have that problem. I think it's a bit of might might have been a might be a skeptical thing, um, but uh, what we do is. Um, on the one hand, we do have a few celebrities, luckily, that can give us like shout outs and they say like, oh, we're part of Give pay or Up," And um, they're really cool. Like you maybe l- look at that, look at them, maybe go p- to a Skeptics in the Pub or so. And that of course creates a bit of attention for us. And then people will just see if, if they like it. Um, and luckily, you sometimes they do, not always, but sometimes they do. That's the one thing. The other thing is we really try, um, and really work on to being a bit more attractive for young people. So for example, um, that's not an example from Germany, but from Britain, um, for example, at QED, they have a crash at a conference, which of course makes it much more attractive for young uh, mothers and fathers and parents um, to go there because they're like, okay, I can actually go to the conference (laughs) and and, uh, see all the talks if I want to because, because, My kid will be cared cared for. So um, I think it's like, on the one hand, create um, a draw-in. And on the other hand, um, create more attention. (laughs) That's what Germans and also, like, the UK do. Can I throw in
3: a couple of things that you could possibly do?
1: I don't know if it's possible in your countries. But in Australia here,
2: our libraries are open.
1: And you can do... Seminars yes. and focus on children. Um, the other thing is during school holidays, maybe you could organize skeptical camps focused on,
3: you know, 12 to 16 year olds and have fun. No, so, uh, yeah, we do the libraries thing, I think, uh, for us, for the Public. Um, Republic. I would say the biggest issue that there is to speak to younger generations is within the skeptic community itself. Because, for example, we got formed in the 90s when there was a very different approach and relationship to authority. And most of our uh, original members see that, that the people should come to them they should come to the pinnacles of advice and to the pinnacles of knowledge. And they don't understand that that time has long gone and it's up for us to go where the people are. So we have to be more active on social media, not on Facebook, which is for us the dinosaurs, but on, uh, the, social, but for, on the social media where the young people are. Uh, another thing is to, di- to make a big diversity of activities that we offer. If we just offer the talks uh, or just the meetings, that's for a very specific group of us and that might not be something that everyone likes. So we try to go to various science fairs where we know there will be children (laughs) and uh, we try to make activities there that are popular. We draw them in a lot with doing very simple like paranormal uh, challenge tests and things like that because those are kind of fun to do. But of course, as a group, we deal with much more serious subjects, but those are kind of a good kind of starting point for a conversation. And for, the, and for the camps, well, there is an international um, chain of skeptical camps. They're called Prometheus. And we did think of starting that, a part of that in our country. But we realized there's just no one who wants to do it, to be honest. But Just to, like, deal with kids for a whole week. No. Yeah. So, <laughs> there we go. Yeah.
0: Well, I would. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but I was trained as a teacher. Uh, so, the there are two things here first of all uh, I, I'd like to connect to what you said about social media and go where the the people are and uh, I would like to put up the example of your very own Dr. Carl who a couple of days ago said that the reason why he went on TikTok <laughs> is well defying his own age by that by the way um, so um, is is that because that's where the young people are it's not Facebook anymore it's, it's TikTok that's one thing. The other thing is that probably these organizations uh, should not aim for uh, recruit, recruiting too many young people because it's not necessarily the the thing that we want. What we want is for young people to think critically, to have the ability to see through the deception and the, the, the disinformation that is being uh, uh, fed to them. So. If if that is the thing, so if, if, if we're not thinking of our own organizations, but the goals of that organization, uh, we could do things like gamification. Gamification is a very important and powerful tool when it comes to reaching young people. And we have seen a couple of those games or game-like um, educational materials. That can be used, and now we are in several different international projects of translating those games that, uh, on occasion, have been developed by experts, so social psychologists, uh, uh, sociologists, and and game experts. They they put together games that will lead you through step by step. Uh, Every every everything that's necessary for you to know about how deception works, and that we, we that is something that we call um, that in in the the um, psychological literature as well. It is called the inoculation uh, theory, and it works like a vaccine. So if if you show People how they are being deceived then they will see through the deception and that is not a theory only a theory it's been very well documented and it's and it, it looks like it's something that we can rely on uh, because it's based on very solid scientific evidence so basically lying to children no, Le, no not lying so the, the reaction was basically lying to children uh, no it's about teaching them how they could be lying. And there is a fear in most of the people who, who hear it for the first time that that could lead to even more people being very skilled in deceiving others. <laughs> However, there is no evidence to that. So the evidence doesn't show that that this would be the case. However, they see through it. And that is what we want, uh, especially for for the... New generations.
3: What, what about um, also
2: partnering, for example, Fridays for Future through Greta Thunberg and her work? I mean, to me, that's what she's
3: doing.
2: Yes, I mean, as being from Sweden. So the, quest, the question was can we partner up with, with other organizations like if, uh, Fridays for Future, Greta Thunberg? Uh, we have not done that, and it, it, it is absolutely a possibility. I think she's been pretty busy as well, and I'm not sure. I mean, that would we would have to have a long discussion with her and her organisation first, so that we fully understand each other, because she's not uh, that organisation is not coming to the climate change. F- well, they do promote science, but they're not. They don't have the sceptical background when we study logical fallacies and, and that kind of thing so we would have to to find co- common ground I'm sure we could but uh, it has not happened but it's a good idea yeah
3: okay so uh, if we move to the next topic which was uh, how do we procure our speakers and guests and how do we fill up our programs so do you want to start, on
0: well, not easily, uh, because we know about sca- uh, experts, but that is a little bit of what you mentioned about teaming up. So uh, th- those experts need to be at least sympathetic to the cause. So in in order for for us to be able to to procure them, uh, but it does happen. We we keep an eye out for the best experts on certain fields, and we always. We, we always try to, to listen to what the public wants to hear because the hot topics are, are the best sellers uh, at, at a certain time and <coughs> point. Yes, and she agrees. Um, so, yeah, um, it's just keeping an eye out on and having a network of, of people who are experts on a certain field. And uh, that's, that's basically it.
2: Yeah and, and talking to, uh, being collaborating with the uh, universities yes. and uh, have look out for interesting new scientific things that comes up. Uh, one way to get people even more keen to, because a lot of them do actually want to come and talk to, our, to, to us or give speeches for us if we explain what we are, but one thing is to look out for people who have just published a book because they are very keen to come out and, 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 and publish that book. And that's fine, if it's a good book, I mean, we're, we're, we're happy to help them promote their, their, their books.
1: Yeah, um, we do pretty much the same. <laughs> what we also do is, we, um, for Skepcon, for example, we do a call for papers that we also publish in different um, media. Where we hope that people will, who have just written a book, um, will come in and send in their papers. And we also really try to network a lot. So also internationally, um, where, for example, my skeptics in the pub, or my, (laughs) in our words, skeptic in the pub in Cologne, we invited um, Alice Howarth from um, UK once. Um, Paid for her flight, paid for her hotel, and she. Talk to us about um, about cancer myths in English. So um, yeah, and that that couldn't wouldn't be possible without
3: networking. So that's also a very important part, and that's also why I'm happy that we're here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my kind of answer ties up to the ties in with the next topic, which is the topics that we cover. So we realize that, um, like I mentioned, our country is one of ten million. So there is going to be a time where we're eventually going to run out of experts. Uh, So we realized that we cannot just go to, for the like regular topics and regular kind of scientists. We uh, started looking into experts from traditionally not like... Not like within the realm of normal skepticism that we encounter. So, for example, we're coming, we're having uh, a lawyer speak about myths surrounding domestic violence, which is a very kind of different topic than normally would be uh, at a skeptic group. Um, we're having a um, um, uh, gentleman come in to talk well about like self-defense, who is a, a big expert on that. So we're now trying to branch out within that. Uh, we're having Pontus come and speak <laughs> about uh, about the COVID situation as it was in Sweden. Um, but so we try to look out for that. Another speaker that's coming in is from the UK, Markel Marshall, who I'm sure many of you have heard of. So he's gonna talk about uh, the new, uh, new, uh, Movements that happen on new social networks such as Telegram and how that kind of uh, ties in with radicalization. And before I came here, we just did a talk about um, holy eroticism within uh, uh, cult movements. So we try to really go into directions as we, that we haven't gone in before. So that's kind of our way uh, of looking for topics. And then when it comes to getting the speakers, like Andrash already mentioned, we're looking for people who are kind of sympathetic to the cause. They might not call themselves skeptic. uh, But as long as they call themselves skeptical, we're good. (laughs) So topics, yeah?
0: Uh, Just just one one more comment on that. Uh, Occasionally it happens that someone who who tries to propagate science and and, uh, get the message through about uh, critical thinking and about pseudoscience being dangerous and and, uh, unwanted, sometimes we still don't invite them because if if the way they communicate uh, is so different from what we would like to see, uh, I mean, if they are aggressive, if they, if, if they are uh, being, being meaningfully uh, ag- aggressive to others, uh, it, uh, uh, meaninglessly, sorry, <laughs> meaning if, if, if it's a meaningless aggression towards the so-called other side, uh, then it's not going to help the cause. And we want to educate. We want people to listen. And we don't want to alienate anyone. And occasionally this, this happened, uh, that we discussed uh, a couple of experts. Uh, they were experts on their fields, but the, the way they communicate is is just unacceptable if we want to uh, have our, our cause pushed further. Um, so that, that, is, that is another thing to consider. And this makes it occasionally very difficult yeah, to, to cool. find the right person.
3: Uh, voca- yes. Yeah, the vocabulary that they use when speaking about those who don't agree with them.
0: Yeah, we won't, we won't invite someone who, who calls uh, a homeopath an idiot so, uh, or, or someone who believes in homeopathy uh, because that will not further our cause but hinder it, and we don't want that.
2: So Dawkins, you know, when he Yeah, <laughs> he sometimes alienates people with his language. So do you censor them?
0: I'm, I'm not saying censorship we're not giving them platform that's a different thing so and that f- that's a different argument as well would you draw the line of
2: Dawkins? Like
0: with I would not invite Dawkins
3: and I personally <laughs> ju- yeah. what
2: that becomes dangerous when you start um
3: well, okay, so being okay, what part of skepticism? What it is today is to create a dialogue because if it's just one side being happy about their opinions and the other side being happy about their opinions, we're never going to get anywhere. And especially overseas, all the people that are in the middle, in between, who just are looking at us like at a tennis match, and then don't, they don't, they see us as equal sides because we're just throwing insults at one another. So the p- issue here is that we have to have um, an, edu- uh, an a discussion, uh, a, a, of course privately we might be a little bit stronger in the words we use, but publicly we have to have uh, a discussion that's on a certain level that makes us look as the promoters of education that we try to be. And that's not going to happen by starting off a conversation by calling someone an idiot because that's the moment everyone's going to stop listening. And we want the people to listen and uh, if we just start, it's, we don't want to look, even though many of us do, skeptics in the pub, we're not trying to look like we're from the pub. We're trying to look like that we actually are educated people who want to make the world a little bit better. And uh, uh, personally, I just said no to a conference where Dawkins is speaking, because I'm just not interested in being in the same, same lineup as he is. Uh, so, you know, I think there are many people in our movement who've done many wonderful things, but A part of what I mentioned, you know, as a joke of being in a cult, part of us not seeming like a cult to the people who don't know us is the ability to both admire and criticize our heroes. And if we don't criticize our heroes and just put them up on a pedestal, we will never move on, and we will actually be the same as the people we're fighting against. Mm. Thanks. Well, Thank
0: you. Do you you find
2: uh, that people... I'm confused about, because
1: I hear, what, like, sceptics? Environmental sceptics? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Euroskeptics. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going
0: to ask a similar question. I keep hearing words like traditional scepticism, and I'm fairly new to this group as well, but, um, yeah, so I don't actually
2: know what is normal. Well, well a lot of the sceptics movement in the beginning of the 80s, where it started to take off internationally, Uh, was focusing came to it from uh, talking about ufos and and that kind of superstitions and 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 things like that i think we need to keep track of that because ufos are still hot in a way Mm. but i think we've moved on to other topics a a little bit it's more for me it's more about the psychology of why people believe in things that are obviously not true and i think that's very interesting and by talking about that process i think you, you you can teach how to recognize things that are you don't have to shoot down every issue one by one you can you can talk about why it comes that people actually believe in things that are apparently wrong obviously wrong teach a man to fish yeah teach a man to fish that's the that's the, the idea
0: and this is yeah it's a way of thinking uh and when it comes to traditional skepticism uh, i'm a bit confused because i immediately think of uh the philosophical skepticism which is a completely different thing we are talking about scientific skepticism so basically when science is done right it has skepticism built into it uh, because you have to critically uh, uh, analyze your own results and your own conclusions as well. And others will be criticizing your conclusions and that's how science progresses. Uh, so this is the kind of mentality that we try to uh, portray and we, t- we try to convey the message of and uh, and that can be applied to all sorts of things. and. We are we need the expert that the, the, the aforementioned expert uh, to, to work with and to to bring the credibility. However, we should not build only on their expert credibility because that would be uh, argument from authority. Uh, and yeah, speaking of which we need to teach uh, people uh, about all the the, the cognitive, difficulties of uh, of of our reality of the world so we have a lot of those uh cognitive traps that we all fall in and we have to be humble about that as well and that is and this is how we can connect back to uh whether we invite those people or not if we cannot be humble about our own positions uh, and and about what we try to to get the message um, uh, the message out about, then uh, then we should not be there.
2: The other thing too was like, sometimes with scientific experts there can be a bit of overreach. I mean, example the eugenics movement probably a very some very good ideas, but there was great overreach. Um.
3: I wouldn't say it was probably a good idea, because you know eugenics was the idea of institutionalized political a race cleansing so
2: oh, no, I, I didn't mean that be, well
3: i mean that's what it, it, it,
2: it went to that extreme but well was that a, was
3: the that was not they went to that extreme that was the original idea it was to in it to create a political system that would do it wasn't about individuals it was about the whole society
0: sorry for arguing with you but uh, it was <laughs> it was about so the idea was not political it, the idea was was this crazy notion that we can better humanity by selecting the the, the people? And then, I- then enforced. it became that in became it became a political movement. But originally, it was it was a different. It was not a political action, a political movement. It, it became a political movement, and it, it it built and it and they those those people actually thought that they are building their arguments on science. Uh, they were wrong <laughs> or oh, oh, their conclusions were wrong we know that now but back then in in that environment it was a little bit different
3: but they knew that they were also doing a lot of shoddy science and uh, you know furthering their own goals but that would be a whole another discussion please read adam rutherford's book <laughs> control yeah. uh it's just came out uh and Annika i wanted to say something for a while now Completely different topic now. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, <laughs> go ahead. I
1: just wanted to say that in Germany, <laughs> we, we, are the topics we work with are, as I've mentioned before, homeopathy, but also um, other things like dowsing, water memory, um, all, all these, all the jazz, basically. What's dowsing? Uh, dowsing uh, is to try to, water try to find divided. water with, with uh, sticks. Uh, okay. <laughs> Dine. Yeah. Dine. Um, Dine. So, yeah, a lot of that. Um, and I forgot what I was talking about, else wanted to say. I'm sorry.
3: <laughs> no, yeah, that's my fault. I should have gotten to you sooner. And what about astrology and things like that, too? That, too. Yeah, and horoscopes, yeah. astrology. English dinosaurs, anthropomorphic, medicine. That's what I actually wanted to say. Yes. New Germanic medicine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes, yes. So we, we <laughs> have. Oh, you uh, uh, Yeah. <laughs> She, she can do that with her mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, like that. We have a big problem with uh, Waldorf and Steiner schools in, in Germany because again, that's where it came from. And uh, they are pretty problematic. I don't want to get deep, too deeply in, but they are um, pretty esoteric, anti-vax and um, mm-hmm. problematic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the things you're discussing, are a mirror of the problems here. Yeah. Like you, you could you could throw a rock at a stunner school from here, and the same sort of problems. Not only that, if whenever those kids transition to mainstream school because the parents have moved or, or whatever, they're often quite significantly behind. But the the other stuff like the anti vax stuff and and anti use of
0: antibiotics and, and, and those sort of things,
1: so, yeah, and so homeopathy,
0: yeah. memory <coughs> water, there was uh, quite a big thing about a, a product recently that's supposed to have mem-
1: water memory, um, but yeah, exactly the same sort of issues are
3: pretty much mirrored here. So yeah, Anika, you want to my comment that?
1: Yeah, um. It's, it's um, interesting to see that like, anti-vax is so ingrained in this world of uh, Steiner philosophy that uh, like they basically have to go through these quote-unquote child illnesses because they learn from it. That's what they think. Um, and that's why they don't like vaccinate against measles, for example, because they think the body needs that experience to go into a higher sphere. No, I had one of my silly cousins send their kids to a Steiner school and they all got German measles. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Pontus.
2: I just want to comment a little bit on the. It's tr- very true that it, it, we, it's the same issues that pop up all over the world. It's very. Yes. Whooping, cough. Sorry. whooping cough. Okay. I, yeah. But anyway, there are. It, we have the same set of of. Uh, of woo and and uh, alternative medicine, anti-vax conspiracy theories popping up all over the place. But there, there are some differences. I mean, if, uh, and uh, I, I can to lighten up the mood a little bit. I can talk, uh, m- mention a little um, anecdote from Sweden about homeopathy because we don't really have homeopathy in Sweden anymore. It used to be big, but in 1951, one of the smaller homeopathic uh, Uh, companies who produced sugar pills, they accused the two bigger ones uh, for cheating. (laughs) And they said that you are just buying sugar pills from a candy factory and relabel them. The thing is, it was true. (laughs) And this was a a big blow, of course, to the whole homeopathy credibility in Sweden. It ended up with a big... uh, discussion in the media, there was a trial, uh, it was fraud, f- uh, a, a trial for fraud, and um, the only thing that the, the uh, lawyers could come up with as a, as a defense was that everybody knows that homeopathy is just sugar appeals anyway, so we haven't actually fooled anyone. And I, I'm glad to say that homeopathy has never recovered from that scandal in Sweden.
3: It's... G- <laughs> It's kind of interesting when Pontus speaks about that particular court case because 70 years later, if you look at the various court cases in California that deal with homeopathy, the lawyers actually have a very similar argument. That um, the the cases usually are about that it wasn't that the that the homeopathic uh, supplements were not correctly labeled as not medicine. And uh, so there's a discussion about if there was enough information to make it clear that it doesn't work on the packaging. So the, the lawyers say, yes, we clearly said it, it doesn't work on the packaging. But then when they actually win those cases, because they do, the, the manufacturers of those homeopathic things use that win in the case to prove that homeopathy works. And it's just absolutely like such a... Bizarre thing, how it can that even happens, and so I'm happy that at least in Sweden it worked, because in California it sure isn't. Um, yes, go ahead. Question: Would you see
2: Greta Thunberg as a, a risky speaker because she doesn't necessarily share your
0: sort of basic approach to skepticism?
2: I think she's done very well, uh, I must say. Uh, But yes, there there could be a risk with somebody like her who is uh, coming from it from a scientific background, also scientific, angle, but also an ideological angle. And uh, then I I, I, I think she's done all right in that particular case, but someone else would, in her situation, could uh, very easily do it wrongly, if I say so.
0: Uh, i'd like to react to that because i think that uh, greta has done an amazing job at mobilizing at the same time from a scientific point of view the scientific arguments she knows her science so she's done her homework for example recently came out a book under her name but it's basically a collection of uh, of expert opinions so she didn't write the book herself like, okay, this is what I think. But she consulted experts and it's the expert opinions that is are conveyed in that book. And that is that, that kind of humble approach, approach that I, I talked about earlier. That is very good. But it's very important and uh, somehow this can be uh, linked back to that question of how to mobilize young people. She has managed to do that. She has has stirred up such a movement all all over the world that there is actual demand for decisions to be made on the the basis of science regarding climate change. Uh, And that is a great push that we need. So if we could do that with other areas, that would be
2: awesome.
3: Yes, go ahead, yeah. Um, And it's a different question,
2: but you you represent four different countries. Uh, do you use a different cultural overlay in what you, the message that you present? So for example, in Sweden, you have a very different way of dealing with the, the COVID um, pandemic as, as against the Czech
1: Republic or Hungary or Germany. So do you, in your messaging, do you use a cultural overlay?
3: Sure. Uh, of course, um, that we have to tailor uh, what we do to our uh, audience. And I think that's kind of another interesting way to disting- uh, to look at um, what we do versus what conspiracy theorists do. Because conspiracy theorists take a conspiracy that grows up in a totally different cultural environment and just copy-paste it. Right. So, for example, to me, a wonderful example of that is the American anti-vax movement that says that doctors are being paid for vaccinating you. That makes all the sense within the U.S. medical system. But in Europe, most of our countries have socialized medicine or, or some kind of various degrees of that. So that claim doesn't make any sense at all. But my, I, had, um, I had a little injury in the U.S. a few years ago and I went to an emergency room there and... Uh, yeah I uh, didn't have insurance, and uh they wanted to give me um mix of a tetanus shot with um the black cough um what is it um yeah with whooping cough and I was you know I was telling him. You don't know me, but trust me, it's not that I don't like vaccines. <laughs> it's just that this doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I just cut my leg. It's, I, I don't think I need a whooping cough vaccine for that, but I can totally see as someone... The The tetanus, yes, I agree to that. Even though I got it three years before, so I didn't really understand why I needed it again, but whatever. You know, they, they wanted to charge me for stuff. So, and they also gave me an x-ray for cutting my leg, which was also, you know. But I, I tried I I, I tried to say no, but you really kind of can't, can you, when there are so many people around you. Anyway, so <laughs> um, the point is that I completely I understood that experience theoretically before. But having even this just little small personal experience gave me a huge understanding of the American conspiracy landscape when it comes to uh, distrusting the medical uh, society. So yes, 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 all right. So I completely understand that then why people will think, oh yeah, they just want to give that to me to charge me for that. Because in many cases, it actually is true. But that kind of thinking doesn't work in Europe. Nonetheless, it gets transplanted, uh, transplanted as if it would. So um, I think the best what we can do is to kind of try to tailor uh, our work and our explanations to the culture we're living li- in. And that sometimes is a little bit of an issue when it comes to new things. For example, uh, Alice that was mentioned by Annika, she wrote an article about thermography as a substitute for typical breast exams. And uh, that is not a thing yet in our country. So it's very difficult for us to explain why that's a problem. But we know that if it's in the UK, it's going to be with, with us within the year. So it's always an issue of like, how do we explain a problem that's going to be a problem that no one really cares about right now, to and make it clear within our environment why would, that would be an issue. So if anyone else wants to react.
0: Yeah, there are. So first of all, Europe is a place where there are many, many different languages, many different cultures. So I I really like your question uh, because there are a lot of those things that we need to take into account with the cultural layer. One of them is the language. For example, for, for us Hungarians, the number of people who speak and understand English properly is very low. So as a result, we cannot point at uh, certain sources that, oh, if you check that out, you will learn a lot about this, uh, that are mostly in English. We have to translate everything into Hungarian because otherwise we would not get the message through. Uh, so that's that's a challenge. The other challenge uh, is, uh, of course, what uh, Claire mentioned as well, that certain things just not apply. But the, the greatest challenge that we face these days is how overly... Uh, politicized every single topic has become and i believe looking through and we've been covering a lot of of, of what what's going on in certain countries uh, in all the countries in europe i believe that in hungary it is it is extremely so uh, and that is because we have become uh, extremely polarized and uh it's it's the 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 central um communication is is basically government propaganda uh distributed in all the networks that are possible and this is what we are up against so there is a public opinion that is against the EU that is against that is f- pro russian uh in in the the the, U- the war in ukraine and and all that we need to tackle that but at the same time, we try to keep that image that we are pro-science and we are not a political entity. But that is a cultural layer that we cannot ignore.
3: Pontus, do you want to add something? Now,
2: just to point out the, the, the obvious, really, that it's not just country by country. It's also you always have to, when you communicate, you have to de- define what is my target or- audience. Yeah. So I... I do as I mentioned before I I sometimes go out to schools and talk and I have a and I tell a story in a certain way and when I discuss uh, the same thing with I also do for senior citizens I, I repackage it because they. they it, it, but it's. I mean, it's obvious. But it's not just different countries. And
3: he thinks he's cool in both of those situations. <laughs> no, they think so. <laughs> Go ahead, Annika. I think what um,
1: also is a topic, and it, it's that is actually uh, dependent on the country. Is that it? In some countries, legal systems, it's easier to sue for, uh, for example, for libel. Yeah, that's and, a really good point. Um, yeah that's uh yeah for example in in germany um like brit hermes that some of you probably heard about she was taken to court in germany um and uh other other people were too so uh, and and in germany um it can be pretty expensive (laughs) and i know from another uh, person that we had on the podcast that got uh, sued in belgium uh, patrick vemeren so um and and that's probably yeah that's something that some countries have more pr- troubles with than others
3: yeah and it's just that whole kind of suing culture um that's something we also have to keep an eye on that even though it's not really natural for our legal systems to have that many libel suits it we kind of do see that creeping in mm-hmm. so that's something we need to also have an eye on for us yeah
0: and we need to k- uh, keep pushing against it yeah but there are movements and and there are campaigns that that can be held up as examples of that successfully happening, because in the UK the the libel law uh, uh, has has changed, has been altered because of a movement which was a countrywide. Actually, it's not not only countrywide; it was an international movement. Uh, the title of which was "Keep libel laws out of science." Uh, i don't know how many of you have heard of uh, simon singh's uh case uh, uh, the the british Chiropractors association sued him for libel uh for just just uh calling uh the, the their their profession uh nonsense so it's um, uh bogus claims it was i i believe that uh, they happily propagate their bogus claims uh, and this this was a basis an enough basis for for a libel uh suit
2: so what do you say he, he said uh, that the, the chiropractors were happily promoting uh, bogus... Their bogus claims. Their bogus claims, yeah. right. And, they were, and he was sued by them for that. And he won, but it cost him a lot of money. But as a result, there was a movement, and now the libel laws have changed, in, have been changed in the UK. I
1: think he was working for The Guardian newspaper. They
2: picked
0: up the tab I yeah. thought...
2: Yeah, yeah, well, it got help from a lot of people, yeah. but, but it still cost a lot of money, regardless of who yeah, paid for it. And it took two years or so.
0: Yes, and that is a great example of uh, collaboration. So when we team up with other organizations, because then... There was the Guardian. There, there were a lot of other organizations. There, there, there was a one that is called Sense About Science, which is amazing uh, work that they do. Uh, they teamed up with them as well. Uh, so it was a massive campaign. So that can be pulled off. Uh, that that gives us hope that uh, if if something like that happens, and uh, with the Belgian uh, uh, Patrick's uh, and his colleagues' case, uh, it was it was also an international collaboration in, in some regard because there were donations offered uh, for their help. And this, is, this was one of the reasons why we had him on, had him on the show uh, to talk about it and to, to issue a call for help.
3: And just about the collaborations, uh, there's so many various organizations that exist worldwide that do some kind of promotion of science. And unfortunately, I don't really see that we always do the best job of knowing about them. I just recently found out that there is a, By the way, I don't know, I didn't know if you know, knew about it that there is a six-country alliance for science journalists in Europe, including Hungary, Czech Republic, well, the Visegrád Four, and Romania and Bulgaria. And and, <laughs> no, <I don't> <laughs> no. and and that's the thing, like like I went to their conference that they had in my town and uh they didn't invite any of the Czech journalists, by the way, or if they did, no one showed up. Uh there were a couple of Hungarians there. Um and I was like, How do we not know about you? And they were like, ne. <laughs> I mean
0: <laughs> So do tell us more about that later.
2: Yes, Thank yes, you. I absolutely <laughs> will.
3: Uh so that's one thing. Um uh, and uh, yes. Can I ask you
2: a fairly important question? Just some brief views from each of your country on the critical problem of energy and power in Europe.
3: Just, <laughs> just briefly. Yes. Just briefly. Sure. <laughs> um, do you want to start with Germany?
1: <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, we're divided. <laughs> I know that some of uh, our sceptics are really uh, for nuclear power, and others are varied against it. I didn't really make up my mind about it yet because I'm not an energy expert. Like, I just don't know enough. Yeah, it's 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 difficult. Uh, we all don't want to burn more fossil fuels,
3: but that's about all I can say from the German side. <laughs> and when it comes to the power crisis, I assume you mean now that Russia, uh, we don't have that much sources from them. So I think everyone's kind of, in, at least in Central and Eastern Europe, everyone's bill is going to go up. And that has impacted a lot the kind of, way people view Ukrainian uh, refugees at the point because people are feeling that um, putting their thermometers a bit lower for the winter is inconvenient. However, they can keep it at the the temperature they want, it's just they're going to pay a much higher bill in the end. That decision was kind of taken out of my hands because I live in a very old building. (laughs) And for the last month, we hadn't had heating and it's not a political statement. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's a huge issue when it comes to how we're going to handle this in the future. And with Germany saying no to nuclear power a while ago, it's just, I don't think it's going to be feasible anytime soon to get us back on our feet. But uh, again, I'm also not an energy expert, so that's just kind of what I've gathered from listening to people who are. So go ahead, gentlemen.
2: Well, of course, it has triggered a lot of discussions uh, about what kind of energy we are supposed to use now. (laughs) That's... Uh, and and, it, and I think that's a healthy discussion, even though the immediate situation is very uh, dire for a lot of people, with the energy prices going through the roof and uh, uh, nuclear power plants have been dismantled or, or closed. I don't know how we solve that, but the, what comes out of it is a discussion about is gas really, even if you call it natural gas, uh, is it really a green power source or not? And I think that, that's a good discussion to have, I think.
0: One of the most important things about this is to listen to science and to listen to the scientists themselves. And we are seeing exactly the, resu- the results of exactly that problem that in the recent past, they weren't the ones who, who have been consulted it was mostly that de- most of the decisions regarding energy policies as well were based on p- the political aspects and not and the economical aspects as well but for example germany it wasn't <laughs> Sorry, a, it Annika. wasn't it wasn't a scientific decision
1: oh we have it so many was, earthquakes what do you mean
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was it was because there were elections not long after the fukushima event and people were afraid so the politicians stepped up and said oh yeah we we need to we need to do what the people want and they sh- basically shot themselves in the foot uh, so we did the same thing in hungary but uh, throughout a longer period so for example the government banned wind power after having uh, planted a lot of 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 these uh, wind power farms um they stopped they, s- they stopped uh, subsidizing it. And then they banned it. They made a deal with the Russian government.
2: Don't, <laughs> don't do that.
0: For, ten <laughs> for a 10 billion euro investment of the Russian government in Hungary to extend and, and to enlarge uh, the power plant that we have that is responsible for the half of the energy production of Hungary. No, it's, it's, a, it's a nuclear power plant. So it's nuclear we should be happy about that however it wasn't a decision that was based on what the science experts would tell you and we are now in the position that even though we are pardon my friend sucking up to the russians uh, our government and the argument is that this is what will provide us with the stability but it doesn't because hungary is The country in Europe is currently with the lowest level of gas reserves in the whole of Europe. So we are basically screwed. And what they did to try to handle the situation, the immediate situation, is that they start allowed cutting down complete forests so that people can at home do the heating with wood. And that is wrong on so many levels. So I'm not even going to get into that. But uh, yeah, so this is when we're not listening to science, but we're listening to politicians and it's all decisions are made on made on, on how it looks politically.
3: I'll just do a quick closing remark. Uh, the whole kind of discussion that we were around running around today and that uh, uh, András has mentioned just kind of will tie on in what we're going to be speaking about in Canberra and that's that we as skeptics need to be more active politically. And that doesn't mean starting a political party, like no. It means that we have to be much more active when it comes to communicating with our policymakers makers uh, because we have for years underestimated the loudness of the voices of people who are for alternative medicine, who are against science, who are for pseudo medicine. And we've always thought, oh, it's going to, you know, that's not a thing we have to worry about, that's just how it is. And it turns out we have to worry about these things and we have to be, have much louder, and much more active voices because the politicians listen not to the majority always, but to the loudest voice that annoys them the most. So we just have to annoy them the most. And that's the message for tonight.
0: So, yeah, that was awesome. Reliving it somewhat through the recording is yet another excitement. But, uh, yeah, we have to concentrate now on... To what's what's coming? Yep. this weekend, and the live recording that we are doing there will be our next episode. Yes, that's the plan. Somewhat of a regular thing, uh, <laughs> but recorded live here in camera. So. Thank you very much for All joining right. me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really enjoying this. And many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. Don't leave us while we are on the at the other end of the world. We'll be coming back to our own places. <laughs> <laughs> but until next week, goodbye.
1: Tschüss.
0: Heydo. Hey too. Bislat. Hey
1: I don't know how you can believe.
0: You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) You're listening to Luna.
3: Okay, let's go.
2: Okay.
0: So, without further ado, Let's do that.
2: Say that again without the dropping of the microphone.
0: So, Luna? Psst. So, without further ado, let's listen to that. Again? <laughs> come on, yeah. So, without further ado...
1: <laughs> come, here, come here, come here. Okay.